Hey guys, tonight's episode consists of allegations of sexual abuse and violence, and if that's the kind of thing that makes you squeamish, I encourage you to shut this down. Having said that, here's the podcast. Oh yeah, tonight, I'm going to be getting a little, uh, a little arrogant with some of this arrogant bastard ale. Pretty sure it's from Stone Brewery, but it doesn't say anything about it on here. What it does say is drink fresh, numbskull. <laughs> I'm Lauren O'Brien, and this is Black Sheep and Bad Apples. Thank you guys for being here and listening whoop, whoop. to the show. We want to take a little go around and have us introduce ourselves. Yeah, thanks for passing me the ashtray, Lauren. No problem. Sam, your resident. Uh, a professor of scientific yep, keep experience. Going. Yeah, there it is. There it is. And then, would you like to introduce yourself tonight? Well, my name is Kelly, and I'm going to be here as an observer, listening in. She's a doctor. She's a doctor. <laughs> she's, she's basically a scientist, but she's being modest about it. I take a deep she's interest a in... Doctor. The analysis of behavior, but that'll be perfect for no tonight's matter. episode. <laughs> yeah. Howdy, howdy! It's Joe, the resident storyteller. Yeah. <laughs> and we got our, our producer over here, who's maybe too busy on his phone to introduce himself. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Just good. You, know, you trying to keep up with the times, you know? So how are you guys feeling tonight? You guys feeling pretty good? Oh yeah, it feels good to see more than like one person. So it's <laughs> yeah, it's feels for the like record. Community. Yeah, for the, for all oh. you guys listening at home, we are between four and six feet away. I can't. Kick I'm gonna go right ahead and now. say that we're try. six feet away, but I haven't brought out Science. the measuring tape. Yeah, I'm still yeah. waiting for the CDC to break down the door and tell us all to go home. They're uh, about to. I'm sure. Season to six. We're going in, for it for whoever we can. <laughs> yeah. So. This episode is going to be a little bit different from a lot of other episodes that we do in that uh, it's... Uh, about a happy topic. It's about super happy <laughs> topics. It's We're going yeah. to give you that little good fuzzy feeling inside. Yeah, so yeah you guys have been fucking teasing me with this shit for like 30 <laughs> minutes now. Yeah, so, so I know, I, I know Joe and That's I know it. Joe knows a little bit Get about your it. Fucking, let's take our clothes off on this in, interesting yeah, and, and issue. I, I, I've talked to Kelly a little <laughs> bit about it, um, but, but so excluding you two, because you guys know just a little bit about it, I want to ask you, Sam, and you, Sean, what do you guys know about Brenda Spencer? Well... At this point, I mean, as of a half an hour ago, nothing. Right now... Just the name? I didn't even know the name. Excellent. I'm not up on things. Good. I'm, <laughs> um, but I'm, try- I'm trying to get you guys to go In the last half an hour, I've sort of figured out at least uh, that she's a crazy bitch. Well, yeah. we'll get into that. <laughs> That's my guess. <laughs> Damn it, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say I know nothing about Brenda Spencer. All right. She's kind of like Garfield. She's uh, yeah, just, she, <laughs> I feel she actually, definitely has That's a, a very fair. It's a very fair uh oh, very now I'm really also, confused. Uh, but, but <laughs> so, just going into the story. 
Brenda Spencer was 16 years old when the, when the world first learned her name. She awoke on January 29th, 1979, pulled out her Ruger 1022 rifle she got for Christmas, and began firing at Grover Cleveland Elementary School across the street from her house. The principal was unlocking the gate where children were lined up and waiting when she began her spree. After it was all over, two adults were dead, eight children were injured, and a police officer had been shot. A, journal with, a journalist with the, the, the San Diego Union Tribune had been calling houses near the school to ask what had happened when this reporter contacted Spencer, who admitted to the shooting. The reporter asked her why she had been shooting, to which she replied, I don't like Mondays. This <laughs> livens up the day. Then Wait. she added, yeah. I have to go now. I shot a pig, I think, and I want to shoot more. Okay, hold the fucking phone, right? Hold the brakes right the fuck now. So it's not going to be a fun episode. So hold up. So hold up. The police were shot. Like a cop. A was police. Sh- uh, yeah, a, yeah. A police officer was shot. Eight children were injured. I'm guessing with a Ruger. But ten twenty two. Ten twenty two. So yeah. it's a twenty two caliber yeah. Ruger. So, but those things have a bunch of bullets in them. Like yeah. you shoot that thing yeah. for days. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And they didn't know where it came from. Not at first. The, the fucking thing got found out by a, a reporter well, and asking see, questions on the phone. Well, we'll get into that a little bit. So, but I think that the really, happened? I'm just trying well, to clarify well, let, let me get into this a little bit more. I think so, the really telling thing that you, you already uh, brought up was uh, it was a Christmas present. Like that. Again, we're going to get into that as well. So the shooting was only halted when a police officer and a security guard took a garbage truck and parked it on the school sidewalk, removing her line of sight. For 20 or so minutes, she fired about 30 rounds at the students and staff, 11 of these bullets hitting their mark. For nearly seven hours, she stayed holed up in her house speaking with police negotiators, quoting Murderpedia site on her, which is a real site, Murderpedia. It's good. It's a very well-done website. She later also spoke with police negotiators, telling them that those she had shot made easy targets, and that she was going to quote, and and this is quoting her inside the article, she's going to come out shooting. She ultimately surrendered, however, stepping outside and laying down her gun. She was tried as an adult and pled guilty to two counts of murder and just like just a bunch of other assault with deadly weapons charges. On April 4th, 1980, the day before her 17th birthday, she was sentenced to 25 years to life. So she was 16 when she did this. Yep. Yeah. And we got a lot she, more details to delve into, but so yeah, she was is 16. Is this like the first... like? School shooter? Well, technically, like student. Well, she's touted. She's touted as as like basically the first school shooter. Even though there was like a couple of other people that had shot before her, you can you can find more on the internet, obviously. But uh, she was basically the first like world like world renowned like the the most sensationalized school shooter. So um, I gotta see what she looked like. Yeah, and she uh, and we'll also Uh, talk about that a little bit. It's very surprising. Yeah, um, yeah. So so just imagining like pigtailed cute girl next That's door. exactly who she is. Yeah, and, right. and, and so when I started right. my no research... As soon as, as soon as he said sensationalized, it's like, obviously she's going to be attractive because that's yeah, the... Yeah. But, and, and so... It's more stupid. how innocent she was. Yeah, right. exactly. And, and so, like, she wasn't the first school shooter, but again, she was the first most documented one. And it, it was it was honestly just a huge, like, shatter throughout, like, the entire United States. And, and I think the world, but I don't know enough to, to, to really vouch for that. 
So after her arrest, her personal life began to come to light. <clears throat> her parents had separated at some point. She began living with her dad, Wallace Spencer. Uh, rather, Wallace Spencer, her father, and her slept on a single mattress in the living room floor. Police Oof. had found half-empty, and I'm putting those in, in quotation marks, uh, bottles of beer and... <clears throat> excuse me. Of beer and whiskey cluttered throughout the house. At the time of the shooting, Bren Brenda alleged she was on all sorts of drugs, PCP, LSD, downers. And she also mentions that she was drunk on the day of the shooting. The San Diego Union Tribune says that she, quote, suffered from a broken home, an abusive father, drug use, and hostility towards authorities and society in general. She claims her father, as well as the rest of her family, were abusive and neglectful. She even alleged that her father sexually and physically assaulted her, which we're going to get into a lot of this. Oh, he's a five-star scumbag. I'm just trying to, like, yeah. cover the foundations <laughs> before we continue the story. Um, and it, 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 Is that a trigger warning? Wait, she no, had trauma? <laughs> yeah, she, she had trauma, and, and again, we're going to get into that a little say. bit because it's... it's uh, uh, The story... Like, the shooting is a, a strange thing, but the events that happen afterwards... Uh, well, not the events, but the conversations that happen afterwards are what we're going to kind of talk about. And and the, honestly, I, I'm left with a lot more questions than I have answers. And so, again, I'm going to try to yeah. take the the utmost unbiased uh, perspective as I can on this and kind of lay down the facts. Um, there was a great article by Peter Langman, which we'll talk about here a little bit. And he kind of outlines kind of what I'm, or outlines kind of what I'm trying to follow in this story. And so I'm not trying to, I'm trying to be factual and not biased, but you can see that there are contradictions in some of this stuff. So we are going to kind of delve into a little bit of that. <clears throat> So a big part of school shootings is trying to get into the mindset of people who commit these atrocious acts. A friend of a, a friend and I were discussing this not too long ago, and it's kind of remarkable how behavior this kind of behavior happens. I think it's safe to say most of us, if not all, have been in dark places, and as poorly as things have gone for us in our darkest times, we've never decided to become the bad guy or to do horrible things like shoot literal children. So again, the question we're going to try to explore today in just a little bit of detail is what makes somebody go a little bit radical? Hmm. Again, not off their like not off their rocker, but what makes them go to that point, like at yeah. the very edge of the bell curve. So we're going to look at neurology. Any questions before we continue? All right. Again, we're going to dive into the neurology a little bit here, um, and we're just going to try to kind of figure out what might be or what might have been going on. And we're going to start with a Psychology Today article entitled Inside the Mind of a School Shooter by Mark Goulston. Hmm. Quoting him, My observation is that people who act crazy do so because they are locked in a state of triunal rigidity. This notion is adapted from the triune brain model first proposed by, by neuroscientist Paul McLean. Triunal rigidity occurs when somebody's thinking upper primate brain, emotional middle mammalian brain, and fight-or-flight lower reptilian brain become rigid, uh, rigidly locked like Lego blocks to each other and fixated on the external goal or mission that they are mentally unable to divert from. Hmm. Continuing the quote, this means that there may actually be a neuroscientific basis to the often quoted definition of insanity as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Alternatively, mental, mentally healthy individuals develop trinal agility. That means that their three brains can couple together and line up with an external reality and pursue goals effectively. 
When that reality changes, they have a flu fluidity in their brains and minds, which enables them to decouple their thinking, feeling, and actions and have them realign with the new reality. When this occurs, they are demonstrating triunal agility. So our brains have like neuroplasticity and it kind of describes in short the ability to rewire our own brain uh, kind of based upon each, each interaction that we're given. Um, and what's being described in this article is, is a rigid mental state and as we'll explore oftentimes tied with abuse, alienation, and kind of a general feeling of being kind of unwelcome anywhere. And then finally being welcome somewhere. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that's, that's the case for many cults and many, <laughs> many... Religious organizations... Yeah, so military groups, and, well, all right, <laughs> just any like fringe like yeah. fraternity, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, the so internet, Bre so Brenda Spencer, <laughs> the internet in general, yeah. Brenda Spencer's home life seems to have been in shambles as we've heard her house was filled with alcohol bottles, indicating that her father probably had an alcohol addiction. There's also reports of abuse by all members of her family, including the father, but this is debatable. All members, and of again, family. we're gonna get into that. For now, I'd like to talk about her allegedly uh, or her alleged head injury. We'll get into how it happened, but first, a quote from STMU History Media. Quote, during her pre-trial pre psychological testing, an injury to Spencer's temporal lobe came to light. Spencer had also stated in a letter from prison she experiences grand mal seizures and that she is to counteract with medications. Such a brain injury would definitely be a precursor to epilepsy, which is two to four times more common among violent offenders than the general public. That's what uh, they talk about with a lot of serial killers and um, like people who are involved with mass uh, murder. That they a lot of it's a, a lot of the front low brain injuries. Yeah, and. and uh, I'm going to delve into it a little bit, but the, the frontal lobe, yeah, is decision-making, but this is, uh, let me just go ahead. And read. I, have, I have a very interesting theory about this, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read on yeah. just a little bit. Uh, now, the temporal lobe is a very interesting part of the brain, and it consists of and interacts with quite a few different parts of the brain. So I'm not going to be able to touch on definitively what's going on here, so I'm going to kind of address everything in a broad stroke. A big function can be seen in just its location, the temporal lobe. It's near the temple and ear and extends from one side of the brain through to the other side in this manner. Its key function is to process hearing into different categories. Now process is the essential word because it has structures within it that are essential to forming long-term memories. From Wikipedia, which I know isn't very reliable, but I'm going to go with it. Declarative or denotative or explicit memory is conscious memory divided into semantic memory, which are facts, and episodic memory, which are events. And so it, it definitely, the, the temporal lobe plays a, a little role in, in helping all this, this come to light. It also interacts with the amygdala and hippocampus, which are part of the limbic system. These parts of the brain work together to form vital conscious memories and behavioral patterns. The temporal lobe does a lot more than just hearing and providing context, however. It, all, it also helps us visually recognize and understand the objects around us. The ventral part of the temporal lobe the ventral part of the temporal lobe plays a role in recognition from, face, from faces to objects to body language. In conjunction with other parts of the brain, it also helps us build sentences and speech patterns, recognize language, and remember verbal exchanges. The temporal lobe works within other parts of the brain to help control and regulate unconscious and apparent automatic reactions such as appetite, thirst, and sexual appetite. And so there's a bunch of things that the broad term temporal lobe can govern. Now, yeah, well, it plays a key role in auditory, like, sensation and perception. Yeah. So if she did have, you know, some kind of damage to it, then... It, it would play a key role in that, That yeah. would be indicative of, you know... Yeah. 
And, and so, so there's a variety of things that can occur in relation to damage of the temporal lobe, as I've described. Language is a part of that, a key part of that. But the temporal lobe is also where a lot of memories are created and stored, or it plays a, a big role in that. And damage to the temporal lobe can hinder our ability to retain autobiographical memories as well as create new ones. Hmm. Damage to this temporal lobe can cause some people to develop addictions, inappropriate sexual behavior, and poor impulse control. They can also develop aggression and difficulty in creating plans or coordinating actions. An injury to the temporal lobe can, in essence, kind of change our personalities. Which is where some people may lean in the case of Brenda Spencer. With evidence that her temporal lobe had injuries, we can see that something was and is different. Something happened, something changed, and she shot a school. But one thing I'd like to note before we continue, as was brought to my attention by this lovely lady, Miss Kelly, is that there's a series of things that can happen when one damages the temporal lobe, and behavioral changes uh, vary based upon which part of the temporal lobe was damaged. It's got a variety of substructures with their own names, so if I had more information about what specific parts of the temporal lobe were damaged, we could kind of pinpoint and make more detailed observations. Nobody's ever bothered to do a, well, a CAT and, scan or an MRI. Well, on this lady's I was going to ask. Yeah, and as deep as I've been digging the, for two or three, like it's been three, four weeks now that I've been writing this. Um, to find, as deep as I've been looking, the only thing that I've been able to find about this is the phrase, quote, damage to the temporal lobe. So that's where we're going to have to land on the subject. I've got no idea what part of her brain was damaged, but I can definitely say that somebody reported that she had some, some sort of damage to her brain. So I just wanted to cover all that foundational work because there's a lot more stuff we're going to get into. What I always think of when it comes to damaging like any sort of, um, basically any sort of part of the brain is the way that it would um, like disconnect you from the collective consciousness. Like it's kind yeah. of our antenna that uh, keeps us all together, and well, like sometimes that becomes staticky, and then yeah. you like lose empathy. And like, if you oh. look at like a three D image of the temporal lobe, like it attaches to the top of the brainstem, basically. Like mm. it sits on the outside of your head, but then like it, there's this part that sort of scoots to the middle, and attaches to your brainstem and your hippocampus, and like yeah. all these like. Like the, the, the essential parts of our parts. brain, the, the parts of our brain that we associate in a lot of ways to what you're talking about, you know, um, the top of the spine mm. and uh, the cerebral cortex and stuff like that, right? That's where the cerebral cortex is. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you were saying about trinal rigidity yeah. Yeah. and the three different brains and the brainstem is connecting to the reptilian brain. There, so they're all kind of coming together. Right there, at that point. Yeah, to create the cognitive flexibility, and yeah, when you right. have an impairment in that system somewhere, within the emotional, within the limbic limbic system, you know, the amygdala connecting to all right. of that, you don't know how it's going to manifest. Right, because yeah. you have your like your reptilian brain, your was that your limbic system? No, the, yeah, right, your limbic yeah, system, the emotional, um, and then your cortex right but like those two things do different stuff like yeah. your your limbic systems what turns you into like a fucking beast person you know what i mean like <laughs> it'll make you attack something or run away from it um well it's fight or flight right sex like right all of that <laughs> and your temporal lobe is about a big to do with like letting those two things talk to each other yeah right well and it, it's especially 
it, it kind of takes your visual and audio cortex and then downloads them into, as I described, autobiographical data, which is like memories that represent the things that you've experienced. Right. And so damage to that could actually alter those memories right. in such a way that those memories are falsehoods. Or, or like cross wires. So like exactly. something you imagine yeah. becomes a confabulated memory. Yeah. I'm not sure word? about that word. I, 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 I know it's a word, word, but I don't know if that was the right yeah, word Yeah, that's it. the word of the day. Like, oh, yeah. Well, Jill, know, so Jill give, it, give us that word of the day. Right. back, right? So as we'll continue, I'd like exactly. everybody to remember who's listening. The absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. Mm-hmm. I don't know everything, nor will I claim to know what happened or how it happened. I'm just trying to lead you guys along the same story that I discovered when I started And this was this. a while ago. It's this not like very... they weren't really t- doing a lot of the tests that they should have been doing. And, yeah, like, yeah. And, and so again, this like... This is the 70s? Yeah, the 70s. 79, 80. Yeah. And so again, we're in a trying to be unbiased, but uh, you know, I might slip up a little bit. So don't worry, she's not coming after you. We'll definitely she's see you later. Alive. We'll yeah, definitely. She's, she's not listening to the podcast. She's still in jail. Well, she might. I mean, she's she's actually she she was working on radios for a long time in prison. Yeah. So yeah, oh, she, we should get her as a guest. I honestly thought about that. No. <laughs> so no, it would it'd be a terrible idea. No. So we've established all uh, what could go happen during a temporal lobe injury, and there's like a lot of different things that this can affect. I want to go over, however, how exactly the injury occurred because there's several different explanations. Oof. The first explanation is is the first explanation being a story that Brenda describes herself. She describes playing a game in the street with a friend and explains that her head injury came from running into a wall. In 2005, during a parole a interview, wall in the street. Yeah. <laughs> they just yeah. jumped at it. Yeah. yeah, just jumped at her. In 2005, during a parole hearing, she described it as such. Do you want to, do you want, there's two parts here. Do you want to read one of them mm-hmm. for me, Sam? All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, so, so commissioner. Okay. The record indicates that there's approximately five and a half years. <laughs> yeah, I was asking you oh, to. You could play the commissioner. Being a sarcastic ass. No, you can play. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, there, you could play the commissioner. You could play the, uh, the, the Spencer. Who, who do you want to play? Hold on. Let me just. Yeah. Get, get your mic real quick. Microphone. Very professional <clears throat> podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So oh, you be the commissioner, all right? Okay. All right. Ooh, all right. Commissioner. So in 2005, during a parole hearing, she described her head injury as such. Action. Okay. The records indicate that approximately five and a half years ago, you suffered a head injury while playing a game at night in the street with a friend. Apparently, you decided to dodge oncoming cars. That's actually bad writing. So it was supposed to be approximately at five and a half years old. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So that was bad writing. Um, so I'll be Spencer again. We used to play headlight tag where we would dodge the headlights. Okay. <laughs> kind of feel like that says. Well, it. I guess you didn't dodge too well. <laughs> no. Yeah, she's played those games way before that. I ran into a wall. <laughs> you ran into a wall. Okay. What happened? I got a cut, an injury to my eye. Okay. And did you have any problems after that? Not that I remember. Seems to indicate you. St- Seems to indicate you started having memory loss at that time. Is that true? I believe so. Was there a bicycle accident as well? Well, my father said it was a bike accident. It was an incident of abuse from him. (laughs) We're going to end the quote there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to have any assumptions at this point, but I'm starting from that. That would give me the impression that her psychopathy was congenital. And, you know, actually... For the rest of us? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking Tran- about. Translate that. Her her what was that congenital? she was born with some kind of predisposition to being a psychopath I'm already. Glad you, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. yeah, went like from that story if she actually was dodging cars that she already had some kind of predisposition. Oh, that's, maybe, maybe there I used was, to do games you know, like that. Yeah. Well, or, but, and well, I mean, that would, if that was true. She wasn't is, like interstate. We're talking well, like, like, this is a, yeah. Like 19, she was born in 62, so it was like ni- 1967. The cars aren't traveling very fast. Yeah, this is the the equivalent. I don't know. You still know at at that age. Well, and and I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I I didn't include it. I could be wrong. Yeah, I didn't include it in my podcast research, but uh, in in I believe her 2009 parole hearing, they talked about that exact thing where um, her great-grandmother on her, uh, one of her sides, um, had some sort of schizoaffective disorder. Her grandmother had the same kind of thing, and her mom is kind of absent from the the entire situation. So she has is, a genetic predisposition, is what you're saying. Right. That that's okay. what it looks like, but it's kind of hard to say definitively, just because, like, I mean, say it in your fancy. Speech. She's yeah, she's got a predisposition, definitely, but I don't know if that's well. Some of everything. some of my favorite friends growing up had a lot of head injuries. Like those are the friends that like you would go out with them and you would know you're going to have a good time. You would end up playing a game like like car tag. Like, tag. Yeah, like, that's exactly what like I had a friend who would uh, light anthills on fire. That was just his like activity. His he would, deal. he would do it deal. every day. That was his special and, like, move. Like, one day he, <laughs> yeah. He I mean, burnt down his house. We all saw it coming. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, what are you going to do? Are you like going to tell him arson, not to follow his he dream? He arsoned his house or uh, he accidentally burnt it down? Accidentally. Yeah. Like, like, he did not. Uh, Incidentally. Yeah, he did not be, uh, like did not think that was going to happen and uh, got out of control. <laughs> and when I go home, I still enjoy seeing this guy. <laughs> like, so a lot of those people turn out all right. Well, <laughs> I, I think I probably almost burned my parents' house down like several times and just it didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like I got lucky. <laughs> I just I, lost some hair. Would you guys do this as kids? I, I definitely brought the cop. Would you say that you were 16 years old? No, I was <laughs> young. <laughs> I was a young teenager and I definitely brought the cops home for an arson incident where I almost burned Jesus down an Christ. insurance building. <laughs> a studio Ironic. full of fucking arsonists. <laughs> and then my younger brother also lit his leg on fire <laughs> when he was younger, playing around with fire. You know, I think it's just kind of unanimous yeah. that uh, I burnt a firework okay. stand, like a little uh, firework, to, like, uh, like well, the little tiny ones. That's <laughs> just fun. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I I almost set a small forest fire in the middle of New Paltz, which. Doesn't have a lot of force. You know, we might it. not be wanting to, to confess to <laughs> crimes that we may or may not have committed I, on, well, on, I on a recorded podcast. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I think the statute of limitations on like disorderly conduct is. I don't is know up. about New York, buddy. I definitely <laughs> it's did. Definitely not more than seven. I years. definitely did my community service to pay for my. <laughs> so now you own that story. You're we allowed to, to all say Yeah, that's how I'm like. I'm very much right. allowed we to talk about this one. All right. New York ain't worried about shit right now. Bigger fish to fry. Cuomo is. Uh... I'm very glad we could go on this tangent, and I'm glad to politics, learn that politics, most politics. of the men, uh, most of the people that I hang out with, rather, are arsonists. But we're going to talk about when fires she... are first and only tool. <laughs> so before the tangent, Brenda Can't get a said, boner without it. Brenda said, uh, "My father said it was a bike accident." 
uh, but it was an incident of abuse. <clears throat> Excuse me again, listeners. Also in 2005, she claimed that all of her family members had, had been abusive. Apparently her brother and sisters were physically and emotionally abusive, and especially her father, although there is zero evidence for it uh, uh, really other than her version of these stories. And them sharing one bed in a apartment. We're going to get to that. <laughs> Right. So she also made claims that her father had kicked her in the head so hard that she'd been left with a head injury, which he had covered up by saying that she had fallen off her bicycle. During this incident, she claims that she had been beaten severely and kicked in the head by her father and opted to head to her mother's house. She, using her words, staggered all the way to her mother's house, which is also reported as going to the... Uh, uh, but she's also reported to like go to the hospital as well, but we're just going to kind of get into that. Uh, her mother ended up refusing to take her to the hospital, though, citing concerns about the legal right to take her child, her her child to get medical attention. It's super weird. Mom of the year. This story, yeah, yeah. this story is just. She's just surrounded by just tragic figures. Yeah, and, or... and this isn't to prove any point, but this is just a little quote. The two houses were within walking distance. However, the inmate's mother, Brenda. Uh, Brenda Spencer's mom apparently made no effort to contact the children and saw them only when they came to visit her. So from Peter Langman's article, which I've talked about, sorting out the contradictions, he says, quote, So this extreme abuse and neglect that characterized Miss Spencer's childhood caused her to develop severe depression, suicidal tendencies, and con chronic complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Still from his article, Spencer claimed that even though her injuries took, uh, that that though her sister took her to the hospital, the examining physician never bothered to ask her how she was injured. The problem is that, according to other members of Spencer's family, this incident never happened. The description quoted above was given in 2009, more than 30 years after the fact. Back in 2000, uh, rather, 1979, not 2000, <laughs> long before Spencer made any allegations that her father had kicked her in the head, Eric Hart interviewed her family members. Hart was not investigating the allegations of abuse because no such allegations had been made. In the course of his conversations with Spencer's mother, brother, and sister, however, they all mentioned the bicycle accident. Her brother, and this is continuing Langman's, Langman's quote, her brother Scott said, quoting him, Brenda was in a bike accident two or three years ago. She hit a pole head on. She blacked out and was woozy the next day. Her sister, Teresa, said, quoting the article, Two years ago, she had a bike accident in which she struck her head. Her mother, Dorothy, said a couple of years ago, she hit a pole while riding her bike. She was in a complete daze. Despite her sister recalling the bicycle accident, Spencer claimed that it was her sister who told her it was abuse. And this is Spencer's words. I remember him, her father, coming home from work and being all mad and smacking me in the head. I remember waking up the next day and wondering why my head hurt so bad. And that was when my sister told me that he had kicked me in the head. Ending Jeez. Brenda's quote. Still continuing Langman's article, Spencer apparently took a real incident and twisted it to make herself a victim. That's, and we're going to yeah. get into this a little bit, but... Yeah, that, that's, that's very rough. Because it's, that's also what you hear a lot of from people that are in positions like that. They, yeah. They really... They don't want to, um, like, they don't want to go to the police, so they, they, they tell these stories, and then the story becomes more truth to them. Yeah. The guy seems like a scumbag, so I think he did it. Right. Well, I mean, we're going to get into that a little <laughs> bit, too. Um, 
I do want to say that our producer man is is giving me the uh, the thumb across the throat indication, meaning that if I don't stop for a, a break real quick, he's gonna murder me. Bro, it's break time. Yeah, so we're gonna go ahead and take shut, a short it down. break before we down. get back into the trauma aspect of this story. And break. Thank you for listening to Black Sheep and Bad Apples. Please remember to subscribe, like, or share on our YouTube channel, Black Sheep and Bad Apples. Or find us on Facebook at Fourth Corner Music. Fourth Corner, bringing you music, podcasts, and more from Hayfork, California. Come on down to Bill's Use Masks Emporium. We have medical grade to handmade grade with in-house financing available. No credit checks, no worries. Drive home today with your used mask from Bill's Use Masks Emporium. It only took me one time to realize insurance. Do you know better in hindsight? Then sign up today for it only took me one time to realize insurance. The United Waterfowl Corporation. United, we fly together. What you know about that? That's all they paid me to say, so... What you know about that? And the Fuck Hobo Johnson Foundation. One day, we'll get your attention. Thank you for listening, and now back to a little bit more of Black Sheep and Bad Apples. So, I do want to address something. When it comes to abuse and crimes, families have a way of sticking together. They kind of share a single story that may or may not be true, because it's kind of a a clan, like a family unit kind of thing. So what Brenda describing about the alleged abuse maybe the truth, especially if everybody in the family was given the hush-hush order. It's equally likely, uh, likely that this abuse may, be, may have been uh, the, 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 may have been contri- contributed to the divorce of her parents. Perhaps Wally was an abusive man, her dad, who frequented the bottle. This Wally. may have led to the wife, Dot, <laughs> to leave. Like <laughs> especially in this case of abuse, it's very hard to pin down anything with certainty. If the father was abusive, it may have drove the family apart. If such were the case, the family would feel despondent and powerless about having lost her children and perhaps her inability to provide for them. And that may have been that may have given her a sense of like impotence and despondence during these years. This would be exacerbated by the fact that she would have felt powerless to prevent any further abuse at the hands of the man that she knew was committing these crimes. There's plenty of conjecture that we can go through. But it's hard to judge. It's it. It's just a hard thing to judge one way or another. I'll judge. So I'm not fully sold <laughs> on the abuse story, but I can tell you that uh, I, I I can easily see how possible it is that Brenda wasn't listened to when she was describing her abuse. I can also see that 30 years later, Brenda may be doing exactly what Langman theorizes. Perhaps she's seeking sympathy and just like creating stories. On the contrary, I understand that these things are difficult to discuss, and it may be so far repressed in one's memory that it's hard to remember the details. And I also see how, with damage to the, tem- the, the memory-storing part of the brain, she may have had difficulty bringing it up. She may not have remembered it in the years preceding. She may also have remembered something that didn't happen. So it's really hard to say. 
during her tw- during her 2009 uh, parole hearing, she was quoted as saying, I was always taught not to talk about family problems, which seems very likely. That seems like the 70s and the 80s. So I want to believe a lot of what she she said happened. But as we'll see, there's a lot more inconsistencies to her story. So again, I'm trying to be as unbiased as I can, and and we're just going to kind of go into it. So the Washington Post has a great article discussing the opinions of the classmates of Brenda around the time of the event. Sam, this is time for you to pull up that photo of Brenda Spencer. I already I saw it. So Committed this, it to memory. It's in the bag. Yeah. She doesn't seem like a happy person. This is a quote. She's from, being arrested this for is the shooting quote. people. So. This is a quote from the Washington Post. Quote, she was just a very weird girl, said Terry Sizemore, a senior at Patrick Henry High School, Quirky. where Spencer attended classes as a junior. She'd shoot birds in cans. She had this long, straggly red hair. She was really scrawny, pretty crummy looking. And then another quote from a different classmate. She's a little girl, real thin. So she was a small lonely quiet girl who loved guns and movies and shows on war she'd but be no, my best friend nobody really thought anything about that <laughs> yeah. at the time yeah it, it's crazy because in, in a lot of her descriptions it it discusses that she was into like war movies she really yeah. liked strategy and like world war one world war two stuff and and she she just really kind of enjoyed the typified uh hero commando kind of person just walking down like the railroad track, just shooting cans and birds, acting like Stand by Me. Like, I yeah. love her. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, she, not as much as Squeaky, but like that's a whole other topic. She shot children, so I don't think you should love her. Although, send her a letter. Well, yeah, nah. Maybe see if she reciprocates feelings. I don't love I don't her care. mind. <laughs> so I do want to paint a picture before we continue. Um, I especially want to paint a picture for the people who were born more recently. The late 70s was a completely different social landscape than what we have now. Although there had been shootings and bombings, there were several people that I spoke to who lived around the time that said that they didn't really think they were in any danger of shootings. That was kind of a wartime thing. There had been very few shootings uh, prior to Brenda, but even after her shooting, it seems like the general reaction was like a quote, one in a million kind of thing, like a bad egg. So the generations growing up in the 70s paid very little attention to the idea of a school shooting. In fact, it seemed that more people were concerned with fights and bombings than school violence at school. I spoke with my mom, personally, and several other people, including uh, uh, some of the, the, the cafe owners. Oh. <clears throat> so I spoke with several of these other people around the time, who, who grew up around the time, rather, one would roll into a rural high school with a shotgun in the gun rack of the, the back of their truck because they had gotten up early to shoot ducks. It was more or less kind of a normal thing to see. There was no precedent to really fear a gun at school. The cities had their fair share of shootings, but the shooters had never targeted schools. There was fistfights and lead pipes and gangs and things of that kind of nature to fear, but shootings weren't a thing left like other than for like government buildings and the military i don't think they'd yet stopped you from taking your gun just like yeah. on the airplane with you yeah it wasn't until columbine yeah and well, so growing up in the 70s no, that was the time when everything and all no that one would have thought that a 16 year old brenda spencer would shoot at school 
And so it really paints this picture, and that's what I like. I took a lot of time to to just interview some of the some of the people who grew up in that generation, and this kind of thing was never heard of. This kind of thing was just a very strange, nuanced thing that all of a sudden emerged out of nowhere. Which we now, as a as thirty something year olds and and twenty something year olds, we all know that this is. The so, most common thing in the world it, now? It's the most common type of shooting other than American foreign policy. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, yeah, and, and so wow. it, this whole thing was like, it's weird to us now that people shoot schools, but you have to really, what I'm trying to emphasize with that is that it was extremely strange. That, was the, that was the safe place. Somebody was psychopathic. Yeah. yeah. Now we're going to get into Broderick. Quote, Brent Fleming. Brent. So getting back to Brenda's story, it was common to find her by herself as she was reported to not really have any friends at school. She did, however, have a friend. That'd be me. Broderick Brent Fleming, who was her friend outside of school. She actually would confide a lot of things to him, which you'll find in some of the uh, some of the articles that I've discussed earlier. Now I gotta see what this guy looks like. You can't find anything about him. That's what pisses me off. There's nothing you could find about him. So there's they a report from Facebook the shooting pages back then. Like not, like not everyone put their pictures online. <laughs> well, especially if you were the friend of the shooter. Like you know, this and, is this is a thing that not a lot of people know about. And this he's also a, got a fit into the. He's uh, also main got public. a lot little rap sheet that we're going to talk about too. <laughs> So she would actually confide a lot of things to him, uh, Brent. Uh, there was a report from after the shooting where he mentions that the Saturday before the shooting, Brenda said something big was going on uh, down on Monday. Something so big it would be on TV, the news, and the radio. I'm giving this and little detail <laughs> because I'm going to exclude a bunch more information about how much was confided. It wasn't much more than kids being like, oh my God, <laughs> the photo, the photo is so good. Um, so, so I'm not going to really talk about, I'm not really going to talk about how much she really divulged, uh, to Brent just because like, it was a bunch of like kind of kid shit where it was like, I'm going to be a big badass action hero. We kind of stuff, you know, it's like, I'm going to shoot cops and egg them and stuff like, I don't know. So from what I can gather is she wasn't really bothered by, or bullied rather by the modern standard, but she was a redheaded oddball. And I don't think it's too far of a reach to say that she, at the very least, was picked on. She sounds like a soulless ginger. It honestly sounds like that, yeah. So isolation in school, isolation at home. Uh, like, it has a tendency to make one feel kind of alienated and, and as such rebellious. Like, you, you're like, fuck the norm. They don't accept me anymore, so I'm just going to be as rebellious as I can. So the psychology... Uh, Today article I mentioned earlier is a great way of noting what she may have been feeling at the time. Quote, What option is there for a personality marinated in pain, estrangement, perceived or real humiliation? A life that isn't worth worth leave... A life that isn't worth living, rather. And a mind that is figuratively and literally become, quote, this this is his words, unhinged, unglued, deranged, Wigged out, freaked out, flipped out, and or out of sweets. Dude, <laughs> totally groovy, bro. Out of, the last one. <laughs> so, out so, of sweets? <laughs> so it's it's a uh, it's a unhinged, unglued, deranged, wigged out, freaked out, flipped out, and or out of sorts. Out of sorts. I just wanna 
point out real quick, I'm putting up a few photos of Brenda Spencer on the podcast. Oh, you nice. can kind of get a she, visual. Of yeah. Some, oh, I'm, I'm intrigued. There's like, she looks like Janis Joplin. She right. Yeah. But then there's a couple others if that Janis I'll put Janis Joplin was Wednesday Adam. Yeah, but like a, a yeah. perfect combination of two <laughs> but girls. No. But, that, <laughs> but, that, Stop, but, that, but then there's like a mugshot and a couple others that drastically change her like. Oh, that, uh, so just. If you're watching this or are listening in that, go ahead and I'm putting up a, a couple photos just so you can kind of see what Brenda Spencer looks like and the duration of, of how this kind of transpired a yeah. little bit. I have some new keywords for tonight. And so, so again, um, uh, what option is there for a personality marinated and perceived or a real humiliation, a life that's become unhinged, unglued, deranged, wigged out, freaked out, flipped out, and or out of sorts? It's easy to understand how such a person might develop an obsession to realign his three brains and reorganize his mind towards revenge. Yeah, I saw a natural born killers too. So her friend, the That's neighbor, Sorry. mind you, Brent was her neighbor. Ah. They were like kind of so-so friends. So when I said that she didn't have any friends earlier, kind of lied about that. It seems she spent a great deal of time with him more than anyone else. So much so that they became literal partners in crime. Nice. During one of her parole hearings, and I quote, on the Saturday prior to this Monday, and this is the Monday, you know, which she infamously hated so much, she told her friend, Broderick Fleming, that something big would happen on Monday, and that, in fact, it may be on TV, and that she would shoot out a window for him. This indicates that she, on Saturday, was planning this attack. On Sunday night, she went to the recreational vehicle, the RV which was parked in the driveway, which her father had parked there where he kept the extra ammunition. She went to that RV and apparently took ammunition out of the vehicle. Her father testified that there was very little ammunition in the house, and when they had checked the RV after the incident, most of the ammunition that had been in there was gone. Now, this is going to be pertinent a little later on. I'm going to continue on. In the 70s, where you leave your ammo on, in your unlocked RV in the front yeah. yard. No, this was definitely locked. Oh. Super locked, apparently. That kind of thing doesn't happen. Well, and, and, and we'll get into a little bit more of the actual details, but it, like her dad actually took her out shooting a lot of the time and, and actually taught her how to, how to be a good, uh, like, a really good fucking marksman, apparently. And uh, cat- Catastrophe... Uh... What, what? Catastrophe Harrington on a uh, comment says she's a bad pokey. She's a bad pokey. I don't know what that means, but she's definitely bad. So <laughs> we're going to get into her yeah. shoplifting charge. Yeah, shoplifting charge. Sure, <laughs> in a transcript of her parole hearing in 1993, her juvenile delinquency was discussed. And here's a part of that from the presiding commissioner quote. Prior criminality is not extensive. And actually, I'm going to stop the quote for a second because I want to let you know that the 1993 and I think it was 1999 uh, versions of the parole hearing, they were just terrible at recording and transcripting everything. And so you're going to hear a lot of dis, uh, indiscernible or inaudible stuff like that. Uh, and I'm going to try to parse it as best I can, but I'm going to skip over. It was I'm the just 70s. Gonna... Everyone was drunk. And I, yeah. stenographer. I knew their goofy like uh, calculator language is bullshit. Yeah. Like... And, and so, uh, <laughs> again, from 1993, quote, prior criminality is not extensive. In one case that someone instructed 
2275 so this is four years before her crime a petty theft was uh, a petty theft offense was handled and an audible by Alcohome Police Department apparently the pursuer or the prisoner Brenda and Broderick Brent Fleming entered a Payless drugstore and the male went behind the counter and pulled out a box of cartridges put them in a Payless sack it appears that the female had been telling him what to do and where to look for it all of the sudden he inaudible without pain two cokes were also taken the bag the bag when they were apprehended revealed a box of two space caliber cartridges 20 in number and two quote and two cokes fleming indicated that he had taken the item but that brenda had told him what to take brenda ran from police security they were unable to apprehend she was later identified. Her father and she were counseled, and and the reference to the incident was closed. So it sounds like, again, absence of evidence 12? and all that. <laughs> yeah, that Brenda was 11? the ringleader in this two-man circus, <laughs> but they had gone to the drugstore and stealing <laughs> bullets. That should be an indication that something is awry. Well, and, and I want to make a little bit of conjecture here. Uh, he says, Out revealed sorts, a box sorry. of two space caliber, caliber bullets. I honestly think that, and we'll get into the, the details of it, but it seems like she was getting into two different calibers of weaponry when she was stealing this at, you know, approximately 12 years old. So it, it is a little suspicious and it's just weird. I'm not going to comment too much on it in regards to my opinion. Definitely a weird thing, though. <clears throat> now, it may be nothing to think about. It's probably nothing to think about. It's probably nothing important, really. But I'd also like to read some notes from her 2005 for <laughs> all hearing. Sam, can I have you be the commissioner? Sure. All right. It's your line, sir. Again, probably nothing to think about. I keep forgetting my microphone. Yeah, get get your microphone. There we go. Action. I need myself. I need like a Britney Spears <laughs> microphone. That's what the commissioner said. So the commissioner. Going to inmates' pre-conviction factors, apparently on June 22, 1975, the inmate was arrested for petty theft and apparently, a lot of apparently here, that was handled informally by the police department. What was that about, do you remember? We were shoplifting, me and a friend of mine. What was it that you were shoplifting? We shoplifted some ammunition. That 22... That's thirty-three-two ammo, something of that nature. Is something that a, is that a blank spot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. I, I don't really remember what caliber it was. Why were you shoplifting a strange caliber like that? Because I know that you didn't have a gun of that caliber. No, I didn't. You're just kids doing stupid stuff. Now don't go too far, Sam, because I got a little bit more for you. Thirty-three-two is no joke. We're gonna talk about her burglary now. So the early part of 1978, a year before her shooting, she was put in a school for problem children where she was punished for her truancy. Staff there notified her parents that she was showing signs of having suicidal thoughts. Summer of the same year, she had been arresting for, uh, arrested for shooting out windows with her BB gun and burglary. The windows she was shooting out were from the same school she would shoot with a 22 caliber rifle. She was arrested and put on probation. And again, from her 2005 hearing, Commissioner? Breaking and entering. What did you do when you broke and entered? <laughs> I love the 70s. We vandalized the school. Which school? The one across the street from us. Okay, and why did you break and enter there? 
We were just drunk. So in December of the same year, just a month before the I Hate Mondays what shooting. What was that? This was 70, uh, 78. Okay. Yeah. So she's 15. She, she's 15, yeah. Well, she's we just... 16 because she turns 17 in April. So okay. yeah, she's 16. So in December of the same Can year. Can go now? Yes, yeah, you're all good. I, I might call you in here in a few minutes. but When yeah, you keep good. saying the commissioner, I keep thinking he's going to bring up Batman. Well, again, yeah. these, <laughs> these are parole hearings, so I'm just trying to be as – like these are the quotes that I directly took from the, the text. So in December of the same year, just months before the I Hate Mondays shooting, her, her probation officer arranged to have a psychiatric evaluation performed and then come to the conclusion that Brenda should spend time in a mental health treatment facility due to her – in his, his words, depressed state. Her father refused to give permission, though, from her 2009 parole hearing. Quote, A month before I was arrested, my high school counselor took me to see a psychiatrist, she reported. She said the psychiatrist had recommended she be hospitalized as a danger to herself and others. Her, quoting her, My dad told me that nothing was wrong with me and that everything was fine and leave us alone, she recalled. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, no, he's definitely a good dude. <laughs> definitely a good dude. Father of the year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna say this was all Brenda. It, she confabulated the whole thing. You know, in none of this bullshit. And I, I really she's just a bad apple. Just a bad. <laughs> get apple. her on the, get her on the show. Would you say she was a black sheep? No, she sounds. Like oh, a bad she's just apple, a bad apple. Yeah. She's ruining the whole bunch. No, clearly there's. No, something I want her to wrong. be our seven, uh, sixth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get her on this podcast. Honestly, Brenda Spencer, if you ever listen to this, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I don't know if it'd be on the podcast or not, but hit me up. We honest, could all get together I, and I, beat Hobo Johnson's ass. I don't. Well, yeah, you could help us beat Hobo Johnson's ass. No offense, but so, I don't. So it's pretty apparent that her father didn't really want to want her seeking treatment, which could indicate he was up to some like not exactly like kind things, you know. But abuse. it could also just be that like machismo seventies shit. You know what I well, mean? Well, like, and that's what I was going to get to because, like, it seems like he may or may not have wanted her like to not seek family. treatment because maybe he didn't the want her to spill some family. beans that are difficult to clean up. <laughs> but it's also equally likely that, being that mental health issues were a taboo, taboo subject during the 70s, that he didn't want his child being deemed as, and I do this in the SpongeBob term, a crazy person. <laughs> So it's also very likely that maybe he was just a stern dad who figured he could take care of his own children without intervention of medical professionals. Whatever the situation, I don't know what it was. I think it could have been handled a little bit better, yeah, as we saw. So we're going to talk about the rifle versus the radio. So remember at the beginning of the Sounds episode... Sounds like a good TED talk. When I told her that she got her Ruger ten twenty two for Christmas. Well, she definitely got it for Christmas, apparently. But against her will. Murderpedia mm-hmm. is fucked up. Just, <laughs> right, she wanted a 332. She wanted to plug big holes in things. She was pissed about that 22. Clearly. That was the first AR 15 that anyone ever put on their Christmas list. So, Murderpedia's absolute mess of an article describes how she got her fucking rifle. Quote. For Christmas 1978, her father gave her a Ruger 10-22 semi-automatic 22 caliber rifle, which is very redundant, and I don't know why they put that in the official transcript, <laughs> but they did. With a tele- telescopic sight and 500 rounds of ammunition, Spencer later said, quoting Spencer, I asked for a radio, and he bought me a gun. 
When asked why he might have done that, she answered, I felt like you wanted me to kill myself. Yeah. From a 2005 parole hearing, Spencer, it seems like I didn't, like nothing I did was right. Commissioner, who would tell you that it wasn't right? Spence, my dad, Commissioner. And what would he say it? You were going to be, but this is a really short one. So my dad would say that I wasn't right. And what would he say? What would he say in that regard? He would say that I was worthless. That I was just like my mom. So bear in mind, she knows how much how worthless her mom is. So, and honestly, this like this is where like a lot of this story. I I thought I knew what was going on, but I got into a lot of this stuff and like I've. You went down a rabbit hole. I, I deep dove into this, and I have no idea where I stand on it. Got a rat hole. I've got opinions on everything, which we'll get to, but either way, it's a very fucked up situation. All right, let's dive in. So here we go. Bear in mind, she had gotten into trouble a few months prior for being a true for, for being truant and for shooting with a BB gun. The same, the same, the windows out of the same school that she would later terrorize with her Ruger 1022. Well, that's just her turf, though. That, 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 she just lives across the street from it. She she's always around that area. She's not going to take a bus anywhere. She's a poor little girl. Yeah. Boy. But we also have a contradiction in this situation. Mm. During her 1993 parole hearing, her actual lawyer said this. Quote, she appeared to resent a lack of closeness within the family. She had spoken of the hope of getting a gun for Christmas, but there was no indication of significant violence, and she seemed pleased with the family outings. So, yeah, maybe her father actually was listening to her when she asked for a fucking rifle, because it, like, in 1993, it seems that she, that's when she, the actual statement, she wanted a radio rather than a gun came out. Right. So it's, again, mm. there's, there's just a lot of things to really ask questions about. What did her father do for a living? I actually don't recall. Uh, for, uh, if he was I, a grifter? No, yeah, I, I kind <laughs> of remember him being a biker. Like, no, from what I recall, uh, one of their parents was like an electrical engineer, and the other one had another like similarly educated job, uh, and they worked like at not pre- prestigious, but like pre- pretty good jobs, and it wasn't like something menial or something. Yeah, and just just despondent. But but again, I I don't really recall, and I could be wrong about all of that. Again, if you guys are listening as the audience, and I'm wrong, please correct me. Send us a comment. You know where if we are. If I'm wrong about anything, don't correct me. I don't care. I'm Joe not actually can't emotionally handle it if you correct him. So well, just, no, I can't read. Just correct. Him. So oh, it, it's a did? whole. It just it just doesn't work. I didn't know I, that. Yeah, it's fine. What? So you never learned how to read? No, like, like like there's like books on tape, and like, I'm all good. But yeah, you know, hook I on could go by shape. So in the 2009 parole hearing, it has a really interesting dialogue, which we'll refer back to in here in a few minutes. But here's an excerpt oh, of the transcript. Sam, I need you as oh. commissioner. Batman, Joker's at it again. Okay. <laughs> Shut up, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. This gun was a gift? Yes. From who? My father. Sorry, whom? (laughs) My father. (laughs) And, you know, I've seen different things. On one report, your father was a caring man and all this. And then when they asked if you want to talk about your father, you tell them, get screwed, or however you said it. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah. In your paperwork here, it indicates that your father was not 
as good a man as they indicated. No, he liked to keep up appearances like everything was fine in the house. So again, we come back to this this little thing that might indicate that maybe there was a lot of abuse. Um, I know families who, who suffer a lot of abuse tend to keep it within the family. And, and so it's like one way or the other, it's really hard to judge like what's going on. It seems like, again, it's, it's really hard to talk about these kinds of things 30 years later. But again, like the temporal lobe thing, well, like you got I, a brain injury, yeah, exactly. I don't know, like I just don't know, and that's why I'm trying to prevent it factually. So it, we're gonna talk and about it, it, like uh, back in those days, you didn't talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, that yeah. was a big thing yeah, back exactly. then. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was very taboo to have a yeah. mental health disorder in the '70s and '80s. So uh, Brenda said that he liked to keep up appearances, and that's the next section of that's our next section. So everything was fine in the house, and by all indications, it actually seemed like it wasn't untrue. The other two children turned out fine. Their dysfunctions may have been hiding in the shadows of Brenda's horrible actions, but I honestly couldn't find anything about them. Like, it didn't seem like they had any criminal past or any kind of, like, issues or anything. So... What of the liquor bottles and the drugs that were found in the house, though? We're going to talk about that a little bit. But I don't really have any information where the siblings stayed during this time. However, I... And so I can't really say that their upbringing was like different or better because they were, you know, not psychopaths. Um, if they in fact lived in another residence, it would provide a lot of a lot more context to what we're about to talk about. Wally, Wallace, Brenda's father, may have led a pretty perfectly normal life, other than drinking a lot. We can theorize that he was an theorize that he was an alcoholic to some degree because there was a fuckload of beer and whiskey bottles laying around the house when they went in and looked at the crime scene and arrested Brenda. Ah, so he's a cool dude. More than a 92-pound girl could drink in an afternoon or something. There was also a single bed in the living room, which was shared, allegedly, by Brenda and Wallace. Again, this would make much more sense. (laughs) This would make much more sense if the other siblings had been living elsewhere, but I don't have that information, and so I don't want to fall into that tangent, so I'm going to digress from it. During her 2001 parole hearing, she made the allegation that her father had subjected her to beatings and sexual abuse, which Wallace Spencer denied. She alleged, as mentioned earlier, that the family would physically and emotionally abuse her, her father being the worst. He would put his hands on her, call her names, and basically demean her by saying she was worthless and wouldn't ever amount to anything, which is a feeling to which I can relate. Sam, I'm going to need your commissioner status. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sam can relate. From the 2009 parole hearing. <laughs> yeah, I heard Commissioner. that too. That he would touch your hair? No, no, you're starting here. Uh, oh, 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 sorry, sorry. <laughs> you made statements that your, fa- your father and you would sleep in the same bed. Yes. That he would touch your hair and... Th- is her dad? Just read the thing. That he would touch your hair... And things of that nature. Yes. On other occasions, indiscernible, Dr. Boyd, you told her that... And this is where a law student interrupts. I'm sorry. The record actually states that she would come in, that he reported that she would come in and fondle his hair, not the other way around. I understand. You're right. I made a mistake. It's my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Is her dad Joe Biden? (laughs) She was asking for it. All right. right. (laughs) She needs to So, 
uh, that you would come in and fondle his hair. Is that correct? I don't remember. All right. As far as the incident, which I assume you began this particular... Oh, thanks for moving it. Um, which I assume you began this particular series of secrets. You've indicated that he began to fondle you. Yes. So he, he didn't attempt intercourse with you? I don't think so at first. And this is continuing. I'm sorry, it's going to get a little weird. Anything else? I just remember different nights when he would almost rape me. You say almost indiscernible. It was like that, like he did. I don't understand. Like he would touch me inappropriately. I don't know how to say it. The statement that you gave in the past that apparently you gave to the doctor indicated that there was some fondling. Yes. Ugh. Okay, and did that lead to digital penetration? <laughs> Meaning fingers. Right. Yes. I figured it out. <laughs> And later, inter and later to intercourse? Yes. So are you now indicating that there was actual intercourse service? There was. I, I, I guess you could call it sodomy. Oh. Okay. I have, I have no reports whatsoever in regards to any individual who has interviewed you to indicate that. So now you're indicating that it was only sodomy only continue please. indicating that it was only sodomy or it was intercourse and sodomy so there was no intercourse no now it, it's i didn't want to include that but it's really pertinent for what we're about to read next we're all adults we could deal with that but i wish sam would stop winking at me during the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> so i i talked earlier about the likelihood that that spencer soon. wallace was basically a normal guy who may or may not have had a problem with alcohol if he didn't have a problem he left his house extremely fucking dirty during the time of the shooting and I brought up earlier the alleg allegations made against him by Spencer. And although the actual accusations came quite a few years later, our next part may suggest that something fucking weird was going on. Other than all the fucking weird stuff. The Daily Mail wrote an article covering one of her parole hearings. And I'm quoting the Daily Mail. In 2001, Spencer accused her father of physically and sexually abusing her and forcing her to share a bed with him. Her claims were treated with skepticism, given the fact that she had never mentioned them before. Yet her father, who died in 2016, was by all accounts a very odd man. Oddest of all, he married his daughter's 17-year-old prison cellmate and brought her to live in the house from which Spencer had shot at the school. They later had a daughter together. <laughs> The cellmate looked so much like Spencer, even local police officers believed that Brenda had been released early from prison. Spencer's absent mother, Dot, claimed, uh, absent mother, Dot, claimed she suspected the father and daughter had an unhealthy relationship, but insisted she could not afford a lawyer to fight for custody. What the fuck? <laughs> it's so wild. What the fuck? It's, it's just like Ernest goes to jail. It's, what? It, what the it fuck, is, Joe? What the fuck? Like, again, this Dude, is... what the fuck? It's hard, but it's... These are the oh, fucking... God. It's... The most cringeworthy thing about this fucking I, pot. Like, when I was doing my research, I honestly was kind of like, she's probably a little, probably 
little off a rocker. But I, I read that, and I'm like, now I don't know what to fucking think. Like, there is definitely some terrible things that She's have... She's definitely off her rocker. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely I mean, that. Well, that's what... There's a whole nother... Why like, is another reason. Yeah, there's another big thing in this whole thing that we haven't even touched yeah, upon. How much is it nature? How, how much of it's nurture? 50-50. Yeah, and, and I'm going to get into a little bit more of that. Um, I think for the time being, Mr. Producer Man, we're going to... Are, are we at our, our mark? Because I feel like we are. Hey, yeah. Mr. Producer. So we're going to take a short little break, and we're going to get back to the end of this podcast. Which Garfield, done, Tale done, of Two Kitties. Done. Yeah, it's going to be a whole lot of fun, guys. So, break. Thank you for listening to Black Sheep and Bad Apples. If you feel the need to pause or pee, please do so now. We are going to take a short musical break, and we'll be right back after a song from Merit Parcel.
Welcome back, guys. And what you've been back. listening to has been Merit Parcel, brought to you by Fourth Corner Productions. Who are those guys? Bunch they're, of rock stars. They're pretty just, awesome. They're always touring and always doing all this crazy stuff. Super yeah. humble, though. Merit Parcel. We do want to mention, uh, uh, what, what, what was his name? Uh, Apocryphy. Sean, what was his name? A cat, cat Harrington. Catastrophe Harrington. Harrington. Yeah, Catastrophe Harrington. Thank you for listening, buddy. Yeah, we uh, do. I do want to go through a couple comments. Let me scroll oh, through yeah, them yeah, real yeah, quick because they they did enlighten me. Uh, it was it was humorous for me to read these. <laughs> yeah, so, let's, let's go through those before we continue with this awful story. <laughs> and I'm gonna go from uh, most current to uh, to 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 least current to least current. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to start from now till back in time. Uh, nope, she's fucked up and she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's he talking about? All I want for Christmas is a desert eagle with a cop killer bullet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are we inspiring hate? <laughs> I don't want to do these episodes anymore. Uh, and... Now she looks like Wednesday Adams meets Janice Joplin meets Jeez. Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I can't argue with the pictures I put up there uh, to look at. There's the mug shots to her like nice Janice. She looks like young and innocent and cute. You're just like, what you? And did you put up the most here? recent so, ones? You, you look cool. And then you, oh, I didn't want to put up the most. You got to put ones. up the most recent. Uh, I'll, ones I'll get there with those. Cat, it was cat. a little disturbing. I was like, wow, you really went a whole different direction there. As the producer, I'm ashamed that you I, haven't put I'm up there. her just, older. Uh, I'm saving a little bit. <laughs> so I, cat made me think of this. We lived together. We were roommates like. Fuck, 20 years ago or whatever. And we had this other roommate who was this really fucked up chick named Shauna. And like, <laughs> they're always and like, named Shauna, aren't they? <laughs> like, this chick had like put like faces of death posters up in her room oh. and stuff, right? She okay. was not okay. And there was definitely some weird shit with her dad who like came over and partied with us one night and it was fucking super awkward. <laughs> Cats, you remember that shit? It was super fucking awkward. But no, it's not Wednesday Adams. Who is somehow like weirdly dark and sweet and innocent on some level too? Like she's a murderess, but she's also innocently murderous. Murderous. It was Shauna and Janis Joplin and Joe Dirt all <laughs> rolled up into one in that photo. There was oh, one that comment that I, I uh, that we were talking about that was it was like Ted Bundy and Eileen Wernos. And that was it. Got me oh, thinking. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. great book by uh, Eileen Wernos called Eileen uh, Eileen Wernos in her own words, and it was um, the whole time she was on the run. She had a really good friend like uh, like her keeping a diary or something. Yeah. And, well, she would send these letters to this guy, oh, and this guy made this whole book of all of uh, Eileen Wernos's uh, letters. Oh. Fuck. About the time she hooked up with the lead singer of Fog Hat and like, like all these very interesting things. Well, we're gonna have to get these documents and uh, and then just expound upon them a little bit in a podcast, <laughs> much like our our, our the, yeah yeah. It sounds like a great idea. Anyway, what we're gonna talk about next are some of the things that uh, Peter Langman Peter Langman rather um, thinks that are lies. 
So if you guys remember, um, like Brenda Spencer either had this wild, awful life, or she had a very large imagination. And so the article I discussed earlier in the episode, in this episode, um, sorting through the contradictions by Peter, Peter Langman, is actually really interesting. I encourage all of you guys to go uh, read it. It's Probably kind won't. of apparent through through like the way that he <laughs> probably won't just saying yeah it's very apparent through through the way that he describes things that she probably had a tendency to lie about some things but his article cross references many of the things she said and uses the timelines of the parole hearings to help him understand when things occurred so I do want to note there were several reasons given for Brenda to have been shooting at the school to begin with. Sometimes she claims that she was uh, she began shooting at school because she quote wanted to die. There were other claims that, that suicide by cop was her intention. Uh, she furthers this by saying her intention was to shoot the school and thus the police would arrive. When the police shot when she shot a police officer, they'd have no other choice but to shoot back. Got to go outside for that <laughs> shit. But going back to the beginning of the podcast, y'all remember when she said. During the interview with the reporter before she was arrested. Is this the uh, Garfield moment? I, I'm going to ra- remind you guys again. <laughs> Here's her quote from the Union Tribune. I have to go now. I shot a pig. Or rather, I have to go now. I shot a pig, I think. And I want to shoot more. <laughs> so I personally think Brenda was totally within her right mind. I think Brenda was aiming for cops and children. And I think she meant to do harm. I can't speak of whether or not she won, She was trying to like commit suicide, but I honestly think she was, she's been telling more lies than truths. And so we're going to discuss some of these a little bit, guys. <laughs> <clears throat> so we're going to talk about commandos versus blue and red jackets. She often oh, discusses yeah, how she this. had no idea what she was doing, how she was drunk out of her mind and on drugs. She also described seeing hallucinations the morning of the shooting and that there were, quote, commandos running towards her house. She claims that, as a defensive attempt, she began shooting at them. But yet again, she contra- contradicts herself in 2009. Mr. Commissioner? Oh, yes? So tell us, what were your hallucinations? I was hallucinating people running up at the house. Was that before or after you got started? Started shooting. Before. So you're having hallucinations, but you decide to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't kill yourself, so you open upon the schoolyard across the way. The only thing I was concentrating on was getting the police there so that they could shoot me. Well. Oh. <laughs> uh, Good job. Yeah, I fucked it up. One second. Well, you could have shot out one window of the school, and the police would have come. I didn't think of that. Now, thanks to the Union Tribune reporter, we know there's a little bit more to the story. And in the 2009 parole hearing, helps us with some interesting quotes. Did I move too soon? Yeah, did. Just a little bit. And it's a long one this time, too. Batman, it's the penguin! So, you're going to start here and go to here. Okay. Yeah. Some of the things that were said to the negotiator, she advised me that there was no reason for it and that it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing and that she thought it was a lot of fun seeing people being shot en route, meaning the children at the school. During her phone call with the reporter from the San Diego Tribune, the phone call in 
which she spoke her infamous phrase. She also allegedly told this to this reporter, told this to the reporter, I'm going to stay here a while. I want to have some more fun. It was fun seeing kids being shot in a group. It looked like a herd of cows standing around the one that was shot. It was really easy pickings. It was fun to watch the kids in that red or blue ski jacket. They made the best targets. It was like shooting ducks in a pond. It was so easy. I enjoyed watching them squirm around after they had been shot. Holy fuck. She's totally so normal. So that's really fucked up, and it also directly contradicts the commando idea. Yeah, but that to me, that sounds like somebody who's uh, like on something out of their head. And, you know, it might have been the case. Those Barbies, baby. <laughs> but that's what we're actually going to get to just now. Well, but really? going back to her injury, if she was on something, she has the disconnection between the auditory perception, mm-hmm. visual perception. And that's yeah. why... I mean, she was hallucinating. And, and that's why, for me, like, it's understandable, like, the, the idea that she was hallucinating and seeing these things. Uh, like, maybe the part of her brain that was... Uh, responsible for looking at things and categorizing them as uh, fight or flight objects, categorize these things as incorrect. I won't subscribe to that, but I do give a lot of credit to that kind of I- an idea because it's like, it's like again, we don't know anything about her, her brain injuries, so we can only have a little bit of conjecture as to like what she was thinking. And it seems feasible that if she had the amount of brain injuries that are likely in this scenario, that maybe she could have seen something like that. And maybe those two realities actually blended in such a way that she doesn't really recall one or the other, but both of them. Because her brain can't catalog that as an autobiographical I mean, I would full-on believe at this point that she believes whatever the story is that she's been telling. Yeah, and, you know, there, there was also the At allegation the that, that she, she like, she also talks about how she was on drugs. She alleges a lot of things throughout her 40 years she's been incarcerated. But one of the most controversial of them have been the fact that she was on drugs. Over several parole hearings, she's had cl- she's claimed to have been on PCP, heroin, LSD, mushrooms, downers, and something called second all. And she also claims she was drunk during the shooting. Now, mind you, she claims different things at different times during right. these parole hearings. And so it's like... And the toxicology report? We're going to get to that as well. <laughs> so, she was like really like high. Like said, she's a doctor. And that could explain, like, the hallucinations. <laughs> that could explain, like, the behavior behind, like, the phrase, I don't like Mondays. It could explain why she shot between 30 to 36 times and only landed 11 bullets. Drugs were easy to get in the 70s. Being drunk and high seems to explain a whole lot of things. Except during her psychiatric evaluation, March 26th, 2009, several things were discussed. Among the many of things that were discussed... She was initially arrested for the crime of, you know, being a child murder in both senses of the, of the word. Which I really like about that turn of phrase, guys. I'm going to comment on that joke. Because she's a child murderer in that she's a murderer of children. But she's also she a child. I thought she didn't kill any of the chi- The but, kids were just injured. I, I know, but th- 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 come on. She's a teacher murderer. Well, I guess I, I ruined the joke. Pig then. Murderer. Sorry, I ruined the joke. Yeah. 
but anyway, she's a welcome. child murderer and then a you know a kid who also murders. Anyway, but she had taken a psychiatric uh, 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 evaluation as well as a toxicology report. I'm going to need you to go ahead and be uh, the commissioner here for me, Sam. <laughs> so she was obviously found to be fucked up. Wait, she's Bruce Wayne? But she wasn't on drugs. 2009. Oh, now I'm... Deputy Commissioner Williams. What yes, state sir. is this in? <laughs> this is in California. This took place in California? San Diego. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Sunday. So just Substance the abuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's indicated here that by the time you were in the seventh grade, you had been using LSD, PCP, and heroin. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Keep it up, keep it up. Just these guys all say, just read the thing, Sam. Because it's a a parole hearing. Sorry, I'm uncomfortable with all this crazy shit, and I'm being a goof because (laughs) we masturbate in comedy. (laughs) Okay. And he does note here that while you were maintaining that you were under drugs at the time of the incident, your talk year, the toxicology screening came back with zero toxins. Okay. He also noted that you indicated, bro, you've been sober for 30 years. Yes. Okay. Substance abuse. It's indicated here that by the time you were in the seventh grade, you had been using LSD, PCP, and heroin. Yes. So that's okay. where we're going to cut down that. Uh, thank you, Sam, for, for commissioning. Um, Bruh. Yeah, and, yeah it's, that was a great San Diego accent, by the way. <laughs> so Brenda claims to, to have been do, doing drugs for a long time before the incident. And at one point, she talks about consuming just literally an ounce of PCP during a week or two. Yeah, fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a lot of discrepancies. Well, but, like all bullshit but, the, but there's also like, um, like her drug history could also be sure. somebody drugging her like throughout time. And but like, she didn't really ex- <laughs> like. It, I feel like she would have mentioned something like that, and I could be wrong. But that, like that kind of is what my sensation is is that she wanted to kind of <laughs> convey this image of being a recreational drug user because it made her seem hard. Yeah. And so I I don't really see that but, as likely, but, but it could. But be. that's that's just uh, to get her reputation. Up and in actuality, she was 16 when that happened. So if she was doing that drug, all those drugs, like throughout her life, she was a 12 year old doing PCP. Like if if that was happening, her well, and also like she was probably getting it from her dad. You know that's not a far fetched idea. It's the 70s, nearly the 80s, but. Yeah, you have one kind of slow daughter. You put her in a room, uh, an apartment with just one bed, and then she's found with a bunch of drugs in her system. Or uh, uh, to saying she had a but history they, they of drug use. They found no drugs in her system. The toxicology yeah. report said but, nada. But uh, like said PCP literally and LSD, uh, like they, they don't stay in your system long. But uh, she also like, reports, and this was like directly after they they arrested her. They did this this test on her, um, and so. 
It also reports that she didn't have alcohol, she didn't have marijuana, she didn't have anything in her system. But years of repetitive abuse with those substances and a uh, like a figure that's abusing you at the same time. Like, look at MK Ultra. It's it's a very similar to you break someone's uh, like personality down, and then you build up uh, like someone who eventually snaps and kills a bunch of people. We're gonna have to touch on that a little bit more. In another episode. Oh yeah. Because what so I do want to a fucking sleeper agent. What I do want to say no, about a, a lot of a lot what of I do want to use those chill systems. Uh, <laughs> what I do want to say is so Brenda, she really claims to have been doing a lot of drugs for a very long time before the incident. And at one point, she talks about consuming. Oh, I already read that part. But her sister kind of tells a different story. Her sister, after the shooting, described her as a big talker, saying that she would always make plans to shoot or egg cops or, you know, things of the like. She, like. she really just wanted to fuck with people. And though she acknowledged Brenda as being, like, she had been a pot smoker, Teresa, her sister, also had this to say about her. Quote, she would also brag about taking heavy drugs, but when she described their effects and what they looked like, I knew she was not telling the truth. <laughs> Smoke some catnip once with a bunch of friends after spending twenty dollars for gram for. Oh, that was oregano, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking even so being a objective, we Thanks have to also examine bucks. like the drug tests themselves at the time. And I delved into as much as I could about the seventies and their drug test. Uh, but it's like really unbelievable to discover any kind of like information about how effective they were at the time. And since I can't provide any like expert opinions or observations. We're just going to have to, like, parse the information we have. What I can say is that perhaps drug tests weren't as accurate during the 70s as they are now. But the technology has existed and been improved on since 1933. So it's it may or may not be a perfect science in the near 80s, but it's, you know, I, I think that it's pretty functional for what it is. And, and in regard, regards of her not testing positive for anything. We can also talk about the possibility of false negatives where a test will show, you know, negative results even though they're, you know, it should have been positive. There could also be, have been corruption in the laboratory, uh, like an improperly stored sample or expired chemicals. There could have also been like a procedural mistake that rendered the data inconclusive. And there's like so many reasons that a drug test com could come up with zero positives that it, it's really hard to tell. Good but what we I can say is the most likely thing is that she didn't have any drugs in her system. Well, that but seems then the most there, likely. there's also a thing of her, maybe she's coming down from drugs, or maybe she's having a, a psychotic break from uh, like not having these substances and having it like be a common thing in her life for years and then like it's stopping and like well, well you can imagine definitely had a psychotic break definitely had Whether a psychotic or not break it was because of drugs <laughs> yeah. that's Heard. pretty clear yeah yeah well and and i understand what you're saying but also like if she was on a, the amount of drugs and the variety of drugs that she like kind of said that she was on um she was doing a lot of marijuana, and so that would have oh, at least tested positive. Marijuana. Doing the marijuana. Mar marijuana. Sorry, I said it weird. Um, <laughs> Call it yeah, like it is, son. Reefer. Re the, the devil's lettuce. Jazz cabbage. <laughs> that damn jazz cabbage ruined but, our like, children. Like, I, I grew up uh, like, like tricking drug tests. Like, like, I, I was on probation for a long a time. bleach on your fingertip, man. Well, oh, my, yeah, my whole thing is like, you just, uh, just drink a ton of water, then it always comes back as a false positive. Well, when she did negative. have six like, hours 
hours between the time she was shooting little kids between the time that she stepped out of the building <laughs> and got arrested. <laughs> she might have had a plan. Like that that doesn't sound un- well, like but, infeasible. Oh, oh, like I, I think her plan was she needed to get out of her house. Like she needed to leave her house and like whether it was jail or whatever, like like she knew if she was staying in that place she would eventually be murdered. And so she was getting out of there. That's uh, I don't have any documentation for that, so I can't say anything one way or another. But yeah, yeah. It, I'm making judgment calls. It's a pun- <laughs> shots in the dark, bro. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'd also like to argue about the premeditation of the shooting. So her neighbor Broderick Fleming told police and investigators how often she'd mentioned shooting pigs or egging cars, as I've mentioned before. Nice. She seemed to talk really, really big, as her sister already said. This is an indication to me that she wanted to be taken serious. She <laughs> shot a bunch of people. She was no, a she serious wanted power person. and she wanted control. <laughs> perhaps because she felt that she had none. Mm. She also had gone to a store with her friend Broderick and instructed him to steal ammunition. For what purpose is lost to time? After the flat, the theft, rather. She was shooting out windows of the school across the street from her house with a fucking BB gun. Her and Broderick had also broken into that same school and vandalized the fuck out of it. Yeah, I used to do shit sort of like that too because yeah, I was angry. She reminds me of my that's friend like, Kate and we used like to do the exact same thing. Angry. But there's also sure. the issue of the 500 rounds of ammunition fuck, that had what? been removed from, the Wallace, from Wallace Spencer's RV which was parked in the driveway of the house. Wallace noted that had been that there had been little ammunition stored in the house and that they had stored it in the locked RV, which is presumably what they took on their outings to the gun range. Most of the ammo had been removed from the RV the night before the shooting. It was concluded that Brenda, after her father slept, went out to the vehicle the night before and had brought the ammunition into the house. So we can see that she was a child with some sort of mental health disorder. Her father had kept her from mental help, trained and supplied her with a gun for Christmas. And between what stands as alleged abuse and the social isolation in her big talks and her priors, we can draw a line making the decline of Brenda, uh, of Brenda Spencer's mental health or perhaps her behavioral reactions to that mental health issue. So like you can see that she started off as like being kind of fucked up and then she like, Broke into a, a, a school, or maybe she, I think she did the, the robbery beforehand, and then she broke into a school and started fucking shit up, and then she just shot a bunch of kids. You can see, like, this really sharp decline. In- yeah, the first two things are very, uh, they're innocent. Uh, like, uh, yeah, they're I, I've juvenile. done plenty of the, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. like, it, It's hard to have, because, like, like, it's hard to not think of all of our past with those. Uh, like, the third thing does not connect with the other two at all. Like, right. I, I didn't really like the kids I went to high school with. At no point in time was I ever going to, like, walk into my school and, like, shoot anybody. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, that was never an option on the table. <laughs> I was on a hit list in high school. I don't know what that means, but we could talk about Somebody it. Somebody wanted to kill me at one point. His oh. name was Andy Bates. And Andy Bates, I love you, man. I'll, I'll talk to you later. I, I talked to him. Uh, I haven't talked to him in years, but like, yeah. I talked to him at that point. <laughs> Andy Bates. Yeah, Does yeah. he have a middle name? I don't think so. Maybe mass master, like, 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 something like that. Like, like, but fair enough. He was a good guy. We got into a weird <laughs> fight at one point. <laughs> okay. We will do like a fights we got into in high school episode. 
later down the line it'll be really well, pathetic. I, I yeah, mean, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> during one of her parole hearings, she was asked, So why did you commit this crime? To which she responded, Because I want to die. Conclusion The story of Brenda Spencer is that that has it's a story that has so many facets that it's it's hard to just truly understand. It's apparent from the shooting she was a very disturbed person who had a lot of issues at home. And I don't really have any definitive answer as to why one would commit such a heinous crime or why we they would target children. And I can't say it was strictly me- was a, a mental health issue either. Teenage impulsivity may to be, be to blame for it to a degree. But again, uh, I don't really have any definitive answers. What is self-apparent, though, is that Brenda Spencer made very poor decisions. <gasps> she was a child monster, and she shot children. If you ask me, I think it was a case of maliciousness. That causing harm to another individual was her only way to find a reprieve from the powerless life she was heeding. She was she was leading. What's more, I think she may have used drugs rec- recreationally, but none were present in the house or in her system at the time. So I don't think she was hallucinating, nor do I think she was, quote, out of sorts. I believe she was in her right mind with a perfect understanding of what she was doing. There's a lot of factors to look into when dealing with any mental health issue, and what I've covered tonight is just many of the factors that can play into extreme violence. What I've gathered over this episode is that there's just too many factors to point one out and say, there, that's the reason. I'm not going to argue that for sure. No, I, I guess like, uh, what jumps to my mind is that like on some level, all the Brenda Spencer's of the world are both the victim and the victimizer and that yeah. they had things happen to them that were beyond their ability to control. And they also did terrible things because of that or related to that that were very much so their own choice. And that's like the question of justice. You know what I mean? Like where, yeah. how, where's the justice in the thing? You know, we, as a culture, we're pretty obsessed with that. Even though that's one, there, there's nobody there's, for there, that one. There's uh, not much. Yeah. You, it's hard to, there's not like, much justice. Everyone's seems, a victim but, in it. And like, it's, it's hard when right. it comes down to like it being, Who's up against the wall? Well, and it's it's right. it's he said she said at a certain point, and that makes it incredibly more difficult to pin down any real details in any part of but, a mean, lot of these you, stories. If you just take the facts, just take the facts from the thing instead yeah. of like any you know whatever your opinion of the facts, what they mean. The her mom totally absent. Mm-hmm. Her dad married her fucking prison. Her cellmate. Her cellmate. <laughs> And yeah. her cellmate was how old when that happened? Uh, she was 17, apparently, when they met. I don't know any more details. Though. Okay, so, like, super fucking weird. And this chick shot up a fucking school and killed two people. Well, don't forget that the, 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 the cellmate and the dad moved back into the house where she right. shot the school from. Whoa. <laughs> right, okay, so 
but those just take those. Imagine that first day where the dad walks over and goes, yeah, this is the window where it happened. All right, this is my bedroom over here. You'll be staying here. Oh, wait, it's just one room. It's so bad. <laughs> so, so just take those three things that we know to be true. Yeah. Regardless of the transcripts and the, the who he, he, he said, said she, she said. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of that, if you just look at those three things, it's really obvious to me that something fucking totally fucked up was happening, whatever it was. Yeah. Right? And we're never going to know what it was, but I think we can all agree that there was something really fucking wrong going on, and it had been going on for that kid's whole life, and it turned her into a monster, and there's no going back from that. And that's just like the that's just the shit into the stick for some people. And, yeah. And there's not, what do you do? You just yeah. have to remove them from society. And it, and it's like removing the allegedly part of everything. It's like like no matter what it actually happened, despite how like bad one may or may not be able to uh, exaggerate it, something fucking happened that was bad. Doesn't matter how bad, something bad fucking happened, and this changed the entire trajectory of this person's mindset. And again, like my personal opinion is that teenage impulsivity played into it a little bit, where because something I left out was that she actually her dad left at seven in the morning and uh, was supposed to take her to school or something to that effect, and she was like, "No, I'm not feeling good. I'm just gonna stay here." Mind you, the night before she had brought all the ammo into the house. And so when he left, she pulled her gun out and started like. There's never once shots. been an impulsive school shooting. Every single school shooting well, that has ever occurred was a premeditated thing for sure. You can't disseminate like impulsivity, but between like her potential temporal lobe damage as well. Well, what I just mean to the... say is like impulsivity is like I should buy a boat. And then you go through the long process of finding and buying a boat. Like sometimes impulsiveness is something that's a little bit more than just I'm gonna I'm gonna put this lollipop in my mouth. I'm gonna go and, and you know like I, I think well, that the there's a little bit more to the impulsive act than just. I guess to me the impulsive thing would be like oh she's walking down the street she's got a gun in her pocket she had no plans to kill or shoot anybody with that gun she was walking by a school some kid was screaming it annoyed her she pulled out the gun and started shooting that that's like impulse yeah. well they, they also you steal talk ammo out of the fucking rv and tell your dad you don't feel like you're going to school that's that's premeditated and she yeah. was conscious like you said she was fully aware that's what i think <laughs> I, I think she was conscious but i don't think she was in her right mind well they, they talk about a big thing of uh schizophrenia which is in her family is invasive thoughts and that that's a very right. big invasive thought like that, that i can see that exact uh, that exact thing playing out that way what do you think's going on kelly well, I mean, your I mean, and your thoughts are not necessarily your actions, right? Like you can be outside of your thoughts. And it definitely is a combination of I mean, it's multifactorial. It's the trauma, likely a genetic predisposition, everything encompassed together. Man, I really wish we could get a CAT scan of this chick's head from yeah. like. I want to see really where the matter is fucking two firing. Two days after like the event occurred, not 
Yep. Because, like, in my mind, you know, uh, like, this person's a victim. She's a victim. But also, like, I would totally not be surprised if she, like, smacked her own head enough times against something to give herself the injury that yeah. she claimed that she had. And, but Wait, what was she the played headlight that? tag. <laughs> yeah. You've never played headlight like, tag? Clearly some shit's not yeah. right. But, I mean, but even so, what is the initial catalyst for a person to do this type of thing, yeah. regardless of environmental factors like of the, what occurs? Yeah, what's the predisposition that causes the, this behavior? Wh- wh- how does a person become this, regardless of what their environment sets out for them or not? Hmm. Like, how do we... Exp- I don't think we, we can. I honestly, we, I, with any combination of information, we honestly cannot. And like we can talk to Brenda Spencer, but I, I don't think that even that will give us a full scope of the understanding of the situation. No, no, no. Clearly, talking to this chick is not gonna. <laughs> is not gonna. It's not going to enlighten you anymore. You're not going to more questions. Yeah, talking never really helped. You get some good party games. Talking helps boyfriends and girlfriends or romantic couples, I'll say, to get along. But people in spelling bees. No, they're just. I mean, yeah, they're talking. You're right. (laughs) Nailed it. Damn, why do I I wanted to argue that so bad? I nailed it. Well, do you guys have any other? <laughs> you guys have any other thoughts on Brenda Spencer, mental health issues? Uh, it it does make me think of something with the situation we're all in right now. Like th- there is like a big problem of people being trapped <laughs> with their abusers right now, and I, I think that's like a topic that that like, we should all keep up on and like like. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> that was like a whole nother fucking episode. Like, Lauren, are you okay? No, me and Kelly no, are fine, but, right? Kelly, we're fine, oh, right? Yeah, no, right, Kelly, we're fine. Yeah, no, we'll talk about that later. Right? Wait, she's blinking a lot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, why are you holding a knife? <laughs> Wait, Lauren's holding a white flag. I, I don't know what's going on. In this. I've got a knife under the white flag. <laughs> Lauren, yeah, you're crying. I can see it. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> no, but, yeah, way to make it but, super but, dark. Well, yeah. it, like, yeah. it's just yeah. something that I, I think you uh, like. It, it, it this is the time where it should be a more like commu- uh, Like you should be getting involved more with your community mm. because like things like this is going on. Yeah. So uh, and, like, uh, just and, understand that like, your neighbors might need some help. Yeah. And, right. I touching on that a little bit. Um, right. You know, if you guys are going through the pandemic and all this crazy shit. Be I got sure rice in the car. If you guys got an extra extra rice, if you guys got wheels to drive, uh, there are always uh, elderly folk, uh, immunocompromised people who need food that can can be out there. And, and in every city in town, I'm sure that there's a small community that's getting together and trying to donate to that. So please uh, help your contribute, neighbor. yeah, I, and, and donate to that. I did just find out in uh, Washington, the hospital is giving out kits that you can go get from them to sew together like masks that you can wear and if you can't you know they'll supply you the materials if you got a sewing machine more or less so maybe talk to some of your local community uh hospitals and things and see if they got some things supplies that you can uh, contribute to if you got that ability yeah for sure keep your eye out for bigfoot since a lot of people aren't like hanging out right now it's a good time to like see him i know yeah you got you got like pumas I'm not gonna lie. I thought I might have had a Bigfoot sighting in the woods the other day. Colonies of humans. (laughs) 
He's gonna come out. All now, right, man. Well, we've been we've been quiet well, for. a Well, while. thank you guys for sticking around for the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, it's been oh, such a dreary. Oh, it does, and it's a dreary episode. Don't I'm apologize for being real, man. No. I, uh, but I, uh, what I am going to say. I'm sorry he apologized no, no, to you guys. No, no, what I am going to say is next week is going to be a little bit oh, more. Oh, wait. We more... never talked about the, uh, the Hold I up. hate Mondays thing. <clears throat> like, well, I, I just want to say. Next... It's not over. All right. Well, what, all right. It's, it's tell me what's Look, going on. Look, everybody said Encore. It, it, all these people are listening. They want to hear more. Right? I, I forget. It, uh, it was a certain band. Fine, 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 fine. They named uh, they named a song after Brenda. Uh, Brenda. Dude, Spencer. they wrote a yeah, fucking song. They fucking wrote yeah. a song. Yeah. Like, we never Why even brought that up about once. That? Well, <laughs> are we gonna B rolls? <laughs> B rolls. Anyway, that deep dive shit. Baby. Yeah. So the producer is telling us that we are out of time. <laughs> and as I was trying to tell it's our fine. group in the studio, this is our night, and we're done. Uh, I'm Lauren O'Brien, Mr. Sam. Thank you for Y'all, being here with thanks us. Thanks for listening in, Lauren. Thanks for having me, Miss Kelly Posner. Thank you for contributing. Glad to be here. Wait, thank you have a last you. name? Yeah, <laughs> Joe. Uh, Kelly was Joe last name. Sasquatch. Name doctor. No, Joe Exotic. Oh, Joe Exotic. exotic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So that's Joe Exotic. Thank you for being here, buddy. Keep exotic in your heart, man. (laughs) Mr. Producer Man. Stay exotic, Joe. Stay exotic. Thank you for another podcast at Fourth Corner Studios here. Independent podcast, music, arts, and entertainment. It's going to get darker next week. Yeah. It's going to be way darker. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Fork in the World. Bye. We're out. Hey guys, I used the word impulsivity when talking about Brenda's reaction. I wanted to address that I actually meant impulse control rather than impulsivity. Impulsivity describes like eating too many candies after Halloween, but a lack of impulse control discusses the idea that one can't stop an idea once it's put into motion. I just wanted to clarify. Here at Black Sheep and Bad Apples, we would like to officially endorse Fuck Hobo Johnson! Yo, fuck that motherfucker! Hashtag Fuck Hobo Johnson.